0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Robes Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Luke Stutters. Hi. Hey, you're not in your car this week, right? <laughs> I, get to, I get a house. as a luxury. I know, right? I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And uh, this week, we have a special guest. A.B., do you want to just introduce yourself, let people know who you are and why you're world famous, all that stuff?
1: <laughs> all right. So my name is Abiyadun, but shot from A.B., Um, I'm a software engineer at Factoria HR, a HR company in Barcelona, Spain. Um, I've been in software development for about three years now, and I love writing. Yeah, so that's how I got myself into writing about dry (laughs)
0: monads. Cool. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, That's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Well, we kind of brought you on to talk about dry monads. And I will admit, I read the article. I got a little bit lost. Do you want to just kind of explain? I I think I kind of got hung up on railway-oriented programming and dry monads and kind of how they plug in together. And people use terms like monads and it's this uh, functional programming term that kind of, I don't know, my eyes glaze over and my mind wanders. Do you, want, do you want to just explain what we're talking about here with dry monads and how that comes together with the railway-oriented programming okay. that you were talking about?
1: Okay, so railway-oriented programming is a term that refers to programming in a way that errors are handled in a functional manner. So we say that it's just like the railway track, where you could either go on one track or the other. So railway oriented programming, is like programming in a manner that you, you're either going in a, in a failure path or in a success path. So for every, on the track, it's either something happens and you have to branch off or you continue on a certain path. So that's just what railway oriented programming is about. And dry monads, um, is a dry RB gem. Dry RB has a lot of gems like, dry schema, dry types, dry transaction. Dry monads is one of the gems that helps you achieve railway-oriented programming in that it can help bind your methods together and then give you a success or a failure result, just like the railway. So it either branches off the track or it keeps going
0: forward. Gotcha. So effectively what you're saying is, is that now, let me back up. So are you talking about your development method or are you talking about actually like it's a trial and error approach for your program, right? Go go do this. If it doesn't work, then go do this. If this doesn't work, then go do this, right?
1: Okay. Well, it's not really, I would not put it that way. Okay. So let's see this way. Like dry monads were not, they were made as a gem on their own, but they are typically used in transactions. So They were made like a base or foundation for another gem called dry transaction, even though you can use them on their own. But you Uh basically see them and you would like appreciate their use more when you look at business logic in terms of transactions. So it's like, okay, we want to make a purchase. And we say for this purchase to be a successful transaction, it needs three steps. And these three steps are called operations. So within this, so we'll then say, okay, so what are the three steps that we require? Okay, number one, validate the card, number two, debit the card, and number three, update the order. So you're saying these are the three steps that are contained in this transaction. So what Drymona does is, okay, since this is one transaction that has three steps, that means if any of the steps are not successful, I would render the entire transaction unsuccessful so it's not like you are saying
0: oh, this sales okay business,
1: or if that fails do this no you're saying this is what i want to do and then i'm going to use you the monad to bind these operations together so let me know if my transaction is successful because i know that you will consider it successful only when all the operations embedded within it are successful so that's what dry monads basically does
0: i got you so what you're saying is is yeah. So in my case, right, it's posting a podcast episode, for example. Right. So I may have mm-hmm. a a process that record the podcast and then if for whatever reason it fails. Now it's on the failure track and doesn't try the rest of it. Right. Yeah. But if it gets recorded, then it'll move on to the next stage. And maybe I have another dry monad to, to run that. Right. Which is maybe the editing or post processing or, yeah. you know, leveling audio or, you know, and so I may have one for each of those. And if it fails at any point, then it just says, hey, we we don't have a podcast episode to
1: publish yeah Yeah. and the beauty of it is that wherever it fails that is the error of the entire transaction so if it fails during editing it tells you oh we are sorry we could not complete your transaction because it failed in editing so you are able to tell exactly where it failed because every step gives you a failure or a success message so the if there's an error anywhere that that would be the error of the entire transaction so you're able to pinpoint okay oh this failed at editing so you go straight to editing and figure out what the problem was
2: awesome that makes sense i just i just want to emphasize it really is called railway oriented programming and it's not it's not some kind of thing that's made up just for rails that is the original name am i right
1: (laughs) yes that's the original name
2: so my understanding of this is that it's not just a railway as in a straight series of lines, but on the one of the posts you linked to, then there's the sorry, one of the images in your in your blog post, there's an mm-hmm. image of two parallel train lines and on top is the green happy path. Yeah. And that's where kind of everything comes, you know, everything goes right. But then at each stage of the rail track yes yeah. then you can branch off onto that lower parallel red track at yeah. which point you avoid any of the rest of the green track
1: exactly
2: hence the hence the railway oriented programming which is a cool idea and my i mean the code comes out looks it mm-hmm. looks great you know it looks really really good and I think, uh, I struggle with it a bit, but I think how it works is that instead of having a load of ifs and in the actual function that does the work in the kind of business logic, instead of saying, Mm -hmm. if we've got a good transaction, if customers got money in their account, Mm -hmm. if the network's called a strike comes back, then instead of having all the branches there, we're pushing all of those ifs, thens down one layer into the individual functions so you're pushing all the error handling down Mm -hmm. and then there's some kind of space magic that happens (laughs) in the dry rb gem that kind of lets those errors bubble up
1: yeah
2: right and that's 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 where i lose it really that's where that's where i kind of ran out of ran out of ruby reading this blog post i don't know about you chuck but the yield, I got, I was good up to the yield. Did you get to the yield? Not quite. <laughs> so, so at one point, then there's, there's a method call called deliver car. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's got four yields in it. Oh, yeah. And there's no block. And I'm like, Oh, ooh, uh, what? What now? How, how can you have four yields? Four yields is a lot of yields. You know, mm-hmm. that's like. Three more than I've ever seen, <laughs> and <laughs> well, there's no block. How does that? How does it work? I mean, if, it works.
0: It works. It, so. Yeah, but if it returns a block, then it can right that. That's that's what you're doing. Okay, Is your so, um, s- each yeah, go of ahead. the
1: methods? There's a check year method, check model method. So because we using the dry RB and there's this part of it called result do. So that's what we are using. We are using the results And then each of our methods, if you notice, gives us a result, which is either a Mm. success result or a failure result. So we're saying yield, that is based on whatever result comes from here, move to the next stage. So if it's a failure result, of course, you know, you're not going to yield. You're just going to go straight and say, oh, my God, there was a failure. But if there was a success, then surrender this process to the next. Like, it's just like, I just thought of something. So, um, like when you have the 400 meters race and then you have people hand over buttons to one another. So just take it like everybody's running 100, okay, 100 meters and then they hand the button over. But if one person falls on the way, they cannot hand the button over to the next person. So they cannot yield. But if they're successful, then they yield. Yeah. So that's how it works. But as I said before, um dry monads, you will see the beauty when you are working with dry transactions. And there you don't have all the yields. What you just have is step step for each operation. So for every operation, you just say step this, step that, step this, and it does everything for you. But this is just this is just focusing on dry monads to explain exactly how they work. But like the basic thing is to have your business logic wrapped up as a transaction, and then all the steps as operations, and you just list them as steps. I think I would write something about Dry transaction. That should be like the next, so that we see Dry monad in all of its glory.
0: <laughs> right, so when you have, yeah, because looking at the code, I mean, you've got this call to success and failure, and I'm assuming that that returns something that's yieldable.
1: Yes, it returns a failure result or a success result, right. but it so it's the success result that forces the yield that you yield to the next stage. You're like, okay, there's a right. success here. You take over.
0: And is that is that the dry monad or?
1: That's the dry monad. Like
0: it, it's uh, it gives you the success and the failure.
1: Yes, it makes it possible classes. for you to return. Yes.
0: I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I'm looking at the gem here. So are you using this at work for the stuff that you're doing or?
1: Yeah, in my previous company where I was when I wrote this article, yeah, it was something that we were using. So I was new and I noticed they had all these folders of transactions, operations, and I was pretty much confused because I was like, what is this? I had never seen it before. And then I had to go read about dry transaction and then i realized okay it's not even really about dry transaction it's dry monads that's making this possible that's like the foundation so i started from dry monads and it was pretty interesting to see that you have several transactions It actually first of all felt like magic to me where you have the transaction and different steps and you just list the steps and everything just works If there's a failure it tells you oh sorry failure and If every step is successful, it tells Mm -hmm. you that your entire transaction was successful. So that's where I got introduced to the dry RD, um, group of gems.
0: Right. So how were they using it at work? I'm just curious to get a feel for that. So
1: yeah, for almost everything. I remember I I was supposed to implement a feature which involved tagging candidates because it's, um, It's a recruitment automation platform. So we had like screening interviews, video interviews take place on our platform. And then you had to move the candidates from one step to another. So when they're done with a question, you have to first of all update that, okay, that question has been answered, update the answer model and everything with the question, the answer, the time and everything then after that, move to the next stage. So we were using it, I think, for where where I had to implement it was in tagging a candidate. To be able to tag a candidate, you have to wrap that transaction in operations, like create a tag, update this the um, folder with the new tag that has been created, update the candidates with the new tag, wrap all of them in several operations and make them one big transaction. Yeah, so we use it in many places, but that's like one of the ones I can remember.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I can definitely see this, yeah, managing kind of a stepwise piece and keeping all of the the steps in line. One thing that I'm kind of curious about is let's say that, and this is something that I've kind of been trying to do with some of the no-code, solutions that I use for some of this stuff is connect to the CRM, find the user. If you can't find the user, create the user. So if you have a flow, something like that, right, where you may be able to take what you have and put it back on the success track, so to speak, right? It failed to find the user, so then it created it, now move along to the next thing. Can you do that with dry Monads?
1: No, you cannot decide with. Dry monads that if there's a failure, I would like you to do this. It's if it's something that has been requested, but I don't think it's been implemented yet, but you can do that personally in your code manually. Right. So instead of returning a failure when something doesn't happen, you can decide to say, okay, so if the user is successfully created success else, then you can try your next thing that you want to try before. Right. Yeah, so you can do that manually.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, I'm just trying to think through. I mean, it in some ways, it feels cleaner, like Luke was saying. Some, in some ways, it feels cleaner to just have it not have the funky if this, if this, if this. Mm-hmm. But in other ways, yeah, I mean, the yield, 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 yield would definitely throw me off a bit, right?
1: Yeah. I also think it's more readable. Okay, go on. No, I was just going to say that I, I think it's also more readable mm-hmm. because you know exactly what is going on. We are not confused at any point. So it makes your code more readable.
2: Right. So my understanding of the, of the yield is that usually in functional programming, it's like JavaScript, you have to chain method calls. And the two method calls you're usually chaining in the dry RB system are a call called bind and mm-hmm. fmap, which I thought was flat map, but it's not flat map. The F stands for something else. Do you, do you know what the F stands for? No. Nope. It's something, something beginning with F. I can think of a couple of things it might stand for. But, um, <laughs> the bind, one of them, one of them basically doesn't unwrap objects and the other one does unwrap objects. So it's kind of a lot of wrapping going on with a W and the bind.fmap. You end up with a series of essentially nested function calls and what the yield lets you do in the do module or how do you how would you describe it? The kind of drimon has got yeah. various different mixins you can pull in. Oh it's a mixin' yeah. the do mixin is that instead of having a series of nested and indented function calls to bind an F map, instead you can just write the steps in order without indentation. Is that mm-hmm. is that what's going on? yeah ha ah, Now I did look up the code i did upload code in j monad uh which i'll put a put a link to where it is doing some kind of block injection. I think it's in in the link I put in, and my word, I have no clue what's going on this uh, this some kind of method it's it's doing it's a has a whole load of mess programme going on there's like back-to-back defined method calls, there's all kinds of stuff. And at that point, I got completely lost. But I was able to follow through. I can see using it, using it is much easier than understanding it for me.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people get confused about the whole, the entire monad explanation, what it does, how it works. And I feel that Personally, instead of like going deep into how they work, what, um, FMAP is, if you don't understand it, try to understand what it's trying to achieve because it, it can be very confusing. Or there's just like Ruby code. They're just binding things together. So bind this to this, bind A to B, bind B to C. But I feel like it's easier to use than it is to understand, as you said.
2: It's incredibly clean. Are you, are you a clean coder?
1: <laughs> um, I, call myself that I think i like clean code
2: <laughs> it does it does look absolutely fantastic on the page you know you've just got a series of steps and then all the exception handling is taken care of for you yeah. and if you want to see, kind of check what the foundation logic mm-hmm. is it's in that function uncle bob would be proud he is, <laughs> he is i could i could see i can see he see him nodding in a kind of Alec Guinness at the end of Star Wars way at this. It really is it really is very, very nice. I just I just wish I understood how it worked. But it's <laughs> honestly it's totally beyond me.
1: I actually yeah, attached that... um, a link I think in the article that explains monads more. It tries to I think this it's called Understanding Monads, a guide for the perplex. That's the title of the article. And I still feel it's a bit confusing at some point, but it tries to explain why stateful values are bad and how monads help. Yeah. So I think if if you read it, it might give some insight.
0: Might make you feel bad about your code.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just joking. But at the same time, I mean, you know, monads are kind of a within the functional languages, you know, it's a more common pattern and it's a it's something that they actually talk about in Ruby since we have mutable state and, uh, you know, a bunch of other things going for us. It I, I still don't know if I understand all of the implications of using an actual monad. And so I think that's part of where I got hung up. But, uh, yeah, you know, that does help a bit. And I get what they're trying to do with some of the dry Ruby stuff. But, yeah.
1: Have you used any other dry Ruby stuff? Or have not. you used any? I mean, not say any other...
0: I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast and, but uh, yeah, I haven't gone deep and like used it in a project where I had to deal with it over and over again, which is kind of the way I have to pick it up. Right. I have to go bang my head against the wall a whole bunch of times and then kind of go, Oh, I finally get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! But yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and Go to topendevs.com coaching. I will give you a one-hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching.
2: i got a couple of production systems that are running ROMRB, which is uh, Peter Sonica's mm-hmm. database layer, and, and other people and that i know uses extensive like dry the dry ruby under the hood oh. and i can see when you're kind of building up the idea of separate repositories you you're, i can i can feel i can feel what he's doing <laughs> i can feel what he's doing but i never i never actually used it for my yeah. own okay. business logic my own business logic was just loads of ifs <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: actually critical cool. there's the I think where I was working the aside dry trans and dry transaction which was using dry monads they were also using dry schema for typing mm, yeah right for yeah. yeah but where I work now they use now sometimes I get confused about the pronunciation because some people call it sorbet others call it sorbet so I think mm-hmm. it, it depends on where you're from <laughs> but they use sorbet for typing. As opposed to dry schema and they aim to do almost the same thing, like validation, um, decide what your inputs, what the types of your input should be and types of your outputs. Yeah. So I think dry would be pretty cool.
0: Yep. So you did have a section in your article about how to test this stuff, right? So uh-huh. it, it looked pretty straightforward, but you kind of want to walk us through it real quick.
1: Okay. Let me see. Testing with aspect. Okay. In order to test this, You really do not need any special skills. All you need to do is call the method and then you can either call dot success or dot failure on the results of the method that Mm -hmm. has this. uh, Yeah. So if a method returns a failure or a success value on that result. So let's say you have the deliver car, deliver car method, you could say result is equal to. Dealer dot deliver car. And then on that result, you could call dot success or dot failure to find out if it succeeded or it failed. Yeah. And also, I, I, I do not think that you should be testing for success and failure in one code, in one test block, because you cannot get both. So a method would either give you a success or a failure. So, um, let's say your method is, um, add Two. So two plus two equals to four. So you can call the method and expect your results to be four. So expect result.success to be four. If your test doesn't pass, of course you know that there was a failure. So testing for success and failure, you cannot get both. One will be nil and the other will be a result. So you can just test for one, for what you are expecting to receive. And if you don't receive that, you know that okay, there's a failure. I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it
2: makes sense. I have a question about the, uh, I'm sure it's related to this in the tests for the, in the article for the car Mm dealership. Then it explicitly calls success. It checks if Mm -hmm. success is nil. And then later on, uh, it it, it then checks a failure. Why bother, why bother putting that
1: um, um, success
2: um, to equal nil line in? Yeah.
1: At the end of the, at at the end of, towards the end of the, article, I mentioned why I bothered to do that. So, I figured that if someone were new to Dry Monad, they would be wondering, so, if I have a success, what what what's failure? If I call failure on this result, what would it give? Does it give false? Does it give new? Does it give an NTRA? So, I decided to add that to the test, just to show you exactly what it gives. So, anytime you have a success, know that failure is new. Anytime you have failure, know that success is near. So I just did that for more explicit explanation, which I mentioned at the end that there's really no use for those lines. You don't need to, uh, yeah.
0: Well, this looks really cool. I'm going to have to. You said you were going to go
2: to the dry transaction next.
1: Yes, I actually, I have written something on dry schema, but it's not been published yet. What is her?
2: the dry schema?
1: Oh, it's what we use for typing dry schema so you could like type what and de- determine the schema of anything so let's say you know the way we have in rails where you oh, what's that thing in rails where you check your params before you permit it to strong param yeah strong. yeah so yeah so the way you check that this is present this is present yeah so with dry schema you can actually create a schema for an input for an input parameter. So you could say, this is how I want it to be. I expect a hash, and the hash should have this key, and, and the value of this key should be of type this. I expect that in this hash, we should have, yeah, so you could create a schema for your input parameter, and whenever the param does not align with your schema, it doesn't even permit it into the um, the method. Yeah. So that's another critical term. But I think mm-hmm. I'll be going into dry transaction, yes, um, soon.
0: It's been a while since I played with sorbet. What's the difference between that and sorbet?
1: Mm, there's not much difference. I think it's mostly about preference. For me, I've used both. I'm, I'm not really experienced with sorbet, so mm-hmm. I cannot really say I know of a big difference. I think they aim to do the exact Same thing, but one thing I would say that I don't think I saw with dry schema. Now that I think of it, you know, with survey, you can do sig, um, and you can determine, you can, you can write at the top of your method exactly what you expect the parameter to be and the type that you expect the return value to be in one line. So you can just say, I expect a param to be string to return and array. And so once you look at the method, you already know what it's what input type mm-hmm. is expecting and what output type is expecting. I cannot recall if I saw that with dry schema, the input and output thing. I cannot really remember if I saw that.
0: Okay. So I'm a little curious. This was on the honey badger blog. Um how did you wind mm-hmm. up writing for them?
1: Ooh, okay, so a friend of mine <laughs> It's a pretty funny story. So he, he he sent me this blog post. I can't remember who wrote it now, but this blog post listed a couple of companies, like all call them companies now, where you could, that were hiring writers and how much they paid, right? Wow. So there was, yeah, a long list and you see these companies and then you see a link to apply. And then in the comment section, somebody from Honey Badger wrote there that, oh, we also hire writers and we pay Mm -hmm. this amount just in case you want to check it out. And Honey Badger actually happened to be the highest paying among all of them. So (laughs) when he sent me the article, I was like, okay, I'm going to check out Honey Badger, they're the highest (laughs) paying. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then I clicked on the link and then um, you have to send a couple of your articles and then they would go through it and then you get a meeting if they're interested in your work you get in a meeting with one of their founders and you guys talk and if they like you you sign a contract yeah and then you can start so that's how i got to
0: i gotcha. i've talked to both ben and star over there before so
1: yeah star is the one i actually met with
0: yeah he's a good guy and do they do they give you any guidance on what to write about or do you just
1: Okay, so the way it works, the way it works is that there's a topic wish list.
0: Ah, You can also
1: suggest topics. So there's a list of topics that they would love you to write about, but there's also Mm -hmm. the freedom to suggest topics, but you don't just start developing a topic because you like the topic. So you first of all have to suggest the topic and find out if it's something they would be interested in. If it, I gotcha. like, I remember there was this one time I suggested a topic, um, about building a chat app with a 13 provider. And I was like, okay, I know this is a good topic, but can we use action cable and turbo mm-hmm. as opposed to this particular thing you're suggesting? And I was like, pretty cool. Yeah, we can do it because hot wire is like new in town and everybody wants to see what turbo streams, turbo tags do. Yeah. So I, I, went ahead with star suggestion and it was actually a hit. Like a pretty good article got featured in Ruby Weekly, Hotwire Dev Newsletter. Yeah, it turned out really nice. So they have the wish list and you can also suggest and they can tweak your suggestion a bit. And if you guys agree, you go on with the topic.
0: Gotcha. Did you have any other questions,
2: Luke? Oh man, I just saying that uh, i just got I just got a uh, point out that railway oriented programming does result in very clean code, but it can require a lot of training. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you see, you,
0: I get you this on all of my shows, me. the JavaScript podcast. Yeah, we have a instead of picks, one of the hosts tells dad jokes, and they're terrible. <laughs> anyway,
2: one of the nice things about it doesn't require a lot of training. It does just kind of work as long as you take it on faith that as long as you've got that include up there and you don't miss out the do bit Mm -hmm. and you call yield it really will call these and any failures that are thrown they're not thrown they're kind of passed back so you're not even throwing exceptions you're just kind of returning values Mm
1: -hmm.
2: it will take care of it all really nicely for you i found i found this most persuasive article i've seen yet to kind of go down the monad, uh, the monad track, I, I really don't like functional programming and monads. Uh, Haskell. I used to like elephants. I used to think elephants were nice, and then I tried to learn Haskell, and now I just see them as as kind of malevolent creatures with with dark secrets. The I, I did recently buy um, the um, the Haskell. Have you have you read the Haskell book? The learn learn you a Haskell. No. Nope. Book? No, don't. Don't never read it. <laughs> Ignore it. Pretend it never exists. It's just, it really, no, it, quite seriously, it, it really did put me off. It really did put me off functional programming. uh That and JavaScript. And one of the really nice things I like about this ask course, it shows that even though whenever you see these concepts, it's always loads of chain function calls. Mm-hmm. And you think, Ugh, I don't want to loads of function calls in a row. I want nice procedural programs where everything happens on a separate line without curly brackets everywhere. Uh, one of, one of the things about Ruby is that we do have the power in the language to say, do you know what? We're not going to have loads of dots and, uh, semi um, colons and curly brackets everywhere. We're gonna have a nice ordered list of step A, step B, step C, and have nice readable code, but also be able to do these functional things. And I think it's a really really shows how you you know what you can get out of learning the
0: system really well. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for writing it.
1: Thank you for reading it.
0: Yeah. So I do have one more question and I'm always just curious. We get developers from all over the world. You mentioned you're in Nigeria. What what does the tech scene look like there? Is it mostly in the cities? Do you kind of have people all over the country? Are you in a city that has a a hop and tech scene? Are you more out in the country? How does that all work?
1: Okay, yeah, there's a tech scene. Yeah, but it's mostly in one of the biggest cities called Lagos. Mm -hmm. We have Microsoft there. We have um, Andela. We have like most of the major startups there and also major companies there. But basically, we also have a remote community, and a lot of people are switching more into remote work, and, mm-hmm. and people are looking more to work for foreign companies as opposed to companies within the country. And then companies within the country are also noticing this and are deciding to offer remote work to developers. Right. Yeah, but it's critical, cool and we have like events. Sometimes, but most of these events hold in Lagos and I don't see in Lagos, so mm-hmm. I don't get to attend. Yeah. But like the tech scene is pretty cool and it, you 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 find it more like dominant in the cities.
0: That makes sense. That's generally what I'm seeing all over the place, including here in the U.S., right? I mean, you know, the, the tech scenes tend to center on specific cities you know, New York City or San Francisco, you've got a healthy tech scene in bigger cities like LA or uh, Seattle. I mean, here in Utah, it's almost all centered in Salt Lake City. But yeah, you know, you've got tech companies that kind of spread into the areas around it. But I know programmers that live out in the middle of nowhere that work for a company, right? So yeah, it sounds, it sounds mostly kind of the same distribution as everywhere else. But yeah, you know, I'm also curious to know, like, do they, so they do hold, like, uh, tech conferences and stuff in Lagos?
1: Yes. Yes, they, lost. Oh, yes, they do. And they have tech parties, too.
0: <laughs> tech parties? Why don't they have those here? Now I feel <laughs> I, Now I feel inadequate.
1: Oh, they have lots of tech parties, like parties for the, they call them tech bros and tech seats, So all the bros in tech uh-huh. are called tech bros. And then you have parties where it's just tech guys and girls. It's actually a thing here
0: in Nigeria. Mm-hmm.
2: Cool. I'm a big fan of the move towards remote working because I've always found yeah. people like me a lot less after they meet me in person. <laughs> so it's really working <laughs> in my favour.
1: For me, I have always yeah. worked remotely. I have never mm-hmm. worked in the office as a dev for my first dev job till so now. It's always been remote, so... I don't know what it feels like
0: to go to the office. Don't try it. It's not worth it.
1: <laughs> I heard um,
0: Yeah, I've done both. But I've worked from home for the last like 12 years. And it's wow. it's totally the way to go. I mean, going into the office, it's a hassle with the traffic. Usually the companies that insist upon it feel like they have to babysit you. And so that's always, you know, it's like it's like, look, I'm an adult. If I tell you I'm getting the job done, right, I'm gonna Just check in code camping. and you're gonna see I'm getting the job done. Yeah. Right. So very cool. Well, if people wanna connect with you over this article or anything else, how do they how do they find you online?
1: I think my Twitter handle is is beneath, it's at the towards the end of the article. It's at building at 3 adults. Most people will be able to spell it from the way I said it. So um, find the article. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the article, you'll see my picture, what I look like, what I like to do, and my Twitter handle.
0: Sounds good. Yeah, we'll also put it in our show notes so that people just click a link to find it. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv/slash premium. Very cool. It Was great talking to you. We're going to go ahead and switch gears. We're going to do picks, which is just kind of the way we wrap up the show. Shout out about crap we like. Luke, do you want to start us off? I've got I've got a I've got an old
2: school an old school pick for you this week. Those of us who still have to have to go places and work in person and like deal with actual physical computers and not whatever jeff bezos has stuffed into his cloud um, more unfortunate his souls. Cloud. what a, what a great cloud so it is. Sad. And it's what it, it's the best cloud amazon wonderful <laughs> um, the whatever it, it, people who actually have like fans and heat sinks that kind of world has to do a lot of dealing with what's called bare metal machines recently because some industries have got to do it right And I came across this thing called Ventoy, which is a multi-boot USB system. So what I usually have to do is I usually have like my kind of Linux USB, which is my kind of fix thing. And sometimes I have my Mac USB and my various Windows ones. And what this does, and each time you have to make a new one, you have to kind of either kind of go through Windows and use Rufus or you have to use some other tool or some Raspberry Pi thing. Or got it? You end up with all these sticks on a keyring, and what is this? It's kind of a multi-boot system where you just copy the ISO file onto that one stick, and it comes up with a little menu when it boots, and you can say, "Okay, I'm going to have a Windows 10 ISO, I'm going to have the Mac ISO, I'm going to have a kind of Red Hat nine, you know, ISO, mm-hmm. some weird thing," and you just you just have one stick, and that combined for your USB C to USB A dongle. It massively simplifies my life. I really like it. So Ventoy is my first pick. And my second pick, which I have picked before, is a library called Filepond, which is a free photo upload library. It's a JavaScript front end thing. It's not a Ruby thing, but it fits really nicely in, especially using the kind of new minimal prop shaft pipeline. So you can kind of put it in. You don't have to do any node modules or anything. And it's a kind of front end upload library. I just really like it. You know how you get the kind of library that you like Mm -hmm. and you know there's no reason you just it just kind of it's really nice to use. Never lets me down. I always think, oh I wonder if I can do that. And it does it. So there we go. It's my second pick, File Pond from Bikina. Just a really, really nice little upload library for uploading images to your your website.
0: Nice. I'm going to throw out a few picks. I always do a board game. The board game I'm going to pick this time. So I have picked Scythe in the past. I'm going to pick the expansion that we have for it. It's called Invaders from Afar, and it it pulls in Albion. Uh, Luke knows all about Albion.
2: I do, I do, my liege. Yes, the the ancient land of Albion and King Arthur, the once and future king.
0: Oh, that's such a good book, too, the once and future king. Anyway, so I'll pick that, too. T.H. White, I think, is the author. Anyway, but yeah, so Scythe is, you have you kind of worker management is kind of the way the game goes. But there's a map. I, I, think, I think I
2: said King Alfred, not
0: King Arthur there. That was a bit of a mistake, wasn't it? It's King Arthur, right?
2: It's, it's yes, definitely, Arthur. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry,
0: Alfred. All good, poor Alfred. So, Scythe, you have worker management, and then right, you move your pieces around the map as well. There, there's a combat element to it, but it's pretty minimal. Most of what you're doing is managing resources. But the different boards that you wind up playing on, you know, where you move your workers around, have different advantages. The different kingdoms or nationalities or whatever have different Uh, strengths and weaknesses and so this just adds into one of them is clan albion and the other one is the tagawa shogunate so you have kind of the japanese or whatever when they just have other abilities is the way that it works the game is fairly well balanced between them and i really really enjoy it the game the base game on board game geek has a weight of 3.43 so it's no joke to pick it up and figure out all the different ins and outs of playing it. Once you've played through it once or twice, it it really you, you know, it really flows, right? And none of the element or none of the elements of the game yet are so incredibly complicated that it's that hard to figure out, right? So, but there are a lot of moving pieces. And so it takes a bit to pick it up. And that's why it has a weight of 3.43. Um, Invaders from Afar has a weight of 3.44. Right, so it clocks in 0.01 weight higher. Um, effectively, you just have a couple extra tokens for Albion and uh, Tagawa. And basically, what it is is Tagawa, I think, has traps, and so you know, if somebody moves their uh, mechanical worker onto it, then it'll trigger the trap and bad things happen. And Albion has flags, and it the the flags allow extra movement stuff. So, but that's it. I mean, the rest of it's just, you play them like you play the others. So, anyway, really, really enjoy it. It is a longer runtime game. I think most of the time when we've played it, we've played it in an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours. It's, it's a lot of fun, though. So I'm going to pick that site, Invaders from Afar. As far as the rest of it goes, um, a few other things that I'm going to pick. So before the show, I was complaining about transferring a domain that I bought it was one that somebody else owned, right? And so I worked through domainagents.com to do it. Their process is not very well laid out, but I am having the domain transfer. Um, Hover.com says it's transferring now. So it looks like I did get the right transfer code. They did get my pile of money for the domain. And so I'm going to pick them. I'm just not going to pick them vociferously as though they couldn't have explained to me better how this was all going to work. Chuck, and were you a bit worried that you've got .dot I was a little worried, uh, as a matter of fact. But they they straightened it out. So, yeah. Anyway, the domain is podcastplaybook.com. I own the .co domain, but it's easier to tell people just to go to the .com domain. And I'm going to be putting up podcasting courses and stuff like that, similar to top end devs for dev courses and, and series and stuff like that. So I'm going to I'm just going to let everybody know about that. But mostly uh, domainagents.com. Escrow.com is the way that they actually do the transaction. That was pretty clean. So overall, I'm I'm happy with them. And then uh, a few other things that I'm playing with. Um, I think I mentioned Podio last week. If I didn't, Podio.com. We'll just put it in the pics. Why not, right? Um, so Podio.com, I'm using kind of like I was using Monday.com, except they have a lot more options and a lot uh, better use case and then the other thing with it is that at the plan I'm on I can actually add light users to the to the apps right so I am I'm, I'm working on creating one for each of the shows so that kind of like what Abby was talking about right where it was I can put in topics and then people can recommend uh guests for those topics and then we can get them scheduled and it'll work through that whole process and kind of be automatic cuz right now what it is is basically um Michaela sends me a list I approve them, and then she goes and invites them and does all the logistical stuff. And this will make it a whole lot more ob- automatic, but I'm also working in the publishing and everything else so that when an episode is recorded, we can put all the information in. I can give all the everybody like a form or they can go put in links or pics or whatever for the show notes. Since I'm adding light users, I'll be able to add the hosts, and then they'll be able to actually see the publishing calendar and stuff like that and anyway, it'll it'll make it a whole lot logis- logistically easier, and we're figuring that out. One of the automation systems that I've used in the past is Zapier, and I've been playing with another one called Make, make.com, and I think I'm liking it a lot better. It, it has a lot more visual elements, um, it allows you to fork your processes, just all kinds of stuff like that. So um, I'm gonna pick make.com as well, and then, I'm planning on having the next three months at least worth of meetups scheduled. So you can go to topendevs.com slash meetups and see when the meetups are. Uh, same for the conferences through the end of the year. I'm planning on having those up. One of the first ones I'm going to put up is the Top End Dev Summit where we actually talk about how to kind of do the incremental regular stuff that you have to do in order to, you know, become a top end dev and have the career you want. So we're going to talk about You know, making content and meeting people and how to keep learning and stay on top of what's coming out and how to when I say content, I also mean like writing books, how to host a meetup, how to all this stuff that that just kind of go into the things that I've seen move the needle for people on their careers. So anyway, all that stuff will be on topendevs.com. And uh, yeah, I have rambled for long enough. Abi, what are your picks?
1: Oh, I didn't know. I have to <laughs> name pics.
0: No, it's all good. You have any TV shows or books or anything else that you've really been enjoying lately?
1: TV shows, yes. Yeah. I like to share, I feel. I feel weird. Yeah, do it. Okay, so I just finished Things season two.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Yes, yeah, I just finished Bridgerton season two. Um, last two weeks, I think I, 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 finished The Witcher, both seasons, and I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well,
2: eh, that, 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 a, that one looks nice. good. Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bridgerton looks good too. Those are both on Netflix, right?
1: Like. Yeah. 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 Most of my friends don't like Bridgerton. They think it's too, you know, but I recommend The Witcher, though it's pretty much, although I don't think it's, very recent, but I think it's interesting. Interesting enough. You know?
0: Yeah, that one's based on a video game, if I remember right. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I just know it has lots of magic.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: If you're interested in supernatural stuff, oh, you have fun.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. I should have picked a TV show. I'll save it. I'll save it. And thanks for coming. This was fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, no problem. All right, folks. So we're going to wrap it up here. Till next time, Max out.